to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. Join us as we survey the land and discover the greatest companies and most profitable investment opportunities in Asia. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insights to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. This week's show guest is Mikal Abdullah. Mikal is the co-founder and CEO of 8 Securities, the leading mobile-only investing service for millennials in Hong Kong and Japan. Prior to starting 8 Securities, Mikal was a senior vice president and the head of Asia at E-Trade. Mikal, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, it's good to have you on. Uh, we just had a really, really good jam session at Startup Grind. And so I'm honored to uh, feature you again on my show because I thought that uh, we talked about a lot of, of very uh, good and relevant and pertinent and maybe somewhat uh, you know, controversial stuff. But uh, I think we should take the opportunity now to, uh, to uh, you know, go over all that because I think it was a lot of value for our listeners there. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. Thank you for offering to... Uh, come on the podcast, and uh, maybe for the audience listening in, you could just introduce yourself. Uh, you know who you are, what you do, and maybe give a little bit of color of your background. Yeah, sure. So again, thank you for having me. And um, maybe to start, um, just you know, as you mentioned, I spent most of my career at ETrade. Uh, was there for a little over ten years. Um, a great experience. Um, gave me an opportunity to sort of travel and, and see the world. Uh, at our peak, we were managing 15 countries outside of the U.S. And so took me to Europe, the Middle East, India for a little while, um, and then a couple of stops in, in Asia. And the last stop with E-Trade was in Hong Kong, uh, where I um, helped launch and manage um, E-Trade's business um, in Asia. And was there for several years, um, and then and then sort of made the decision around 2012 to start my my own company and do my own thing, and that's when I started Eight uh, Securities. So, although people talk about fintech as if it's something new, I think if E-Trade wasn't fintech, I don't know what what is. So, <laughs> I've been doing it for a really long time. Um, decided to do my own thing, launched Eight Securities, and. Simply put, you know, we're in the business of offering mobile uh, products to uh, largely millennials and, 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 and more each day Generation Z. Right. Fantastic intro. Now, so, you know, Miko, you, you and I sort of share a similar <laughs> background. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, I, I used to be on the sell side as well. I, I sort of know the broking industry here in Asia, uh, as, as you have a lot of experience in. Um, you obviously more on the uh, electronic side and 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 uh, tech tech side of things, but what was it about um, specifically? Uh, why at that time in 2012? And this is sort of just digging into your entrepreneurial journey more. Uh, and if you don't mind sharing, you know, you know, like I was a sort of broker, and I kind of we both went through the financial crisis, and and uh, you know, 2008, 2009, and there were a lot of uh, there was a lot of changes in the industry. Um, what led you uh, at in 2012 to basically uh, go out on a limb and uh, do a startup uh, as opposed to maybe perhaps a, an earlier data point? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that the, the main thing was just it was it was born as, as many startups are out of a bit of frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that at, at E-Trade, you know, although it was a relatively fast company, 
um, you know, it was still very much a U.S. centric business, right. and and I worked for the international division, um, and it got to the point where sort of changing a button on the on the homepage, you know, would would take two weeks, and ninety percent uh, of all of the priorities were the U.S. So it just got to the point uh, of a lot of inertia and being very difficult to do things, and and I like to move fast and I like to see results, and and I think that was sort of the tipping point for me where I, I understood I just really have to be in in control. I really need to sort of manage my own thing and do my own thing. And that was really the the, the push I, I needed to start eight. And I think it's, you know, for, for so many um, entrepreneurs, it's sort of that, that point of frustration. But in addition to that, I also have to speak to the other side because um, there's no point in starting a company if you don't see an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I think in 2012 was really when, when we, where I really felt that this sort of mobile was, um, was going to be, you know, very, very important to investing. Um, obviously, in sort of in the banking world, it, it, it sort of began gaining gaining traction. But at that point, there still weren't very many good mobile solutions in the market. And so really saw that as an opportunity, um, thought that, you know, many of the investing services that were, were in the market were the same things that had launched in sort of 99 and 2000. Nothing had changed. And part of the problem was, you know, they were they were young customers when they opened their online account in, in 1999. But now most of the market, you know, are people in their sort of 50s and 60s and nothing new had come out to serve younger customers. So in many respects, it was kind of being the new E-Trade mm-hmm. for younger customers. Right. Absolutely. Um, just curious, again, uh, just sticking with this sort of entrepreneurial vein here uh, and discussion uh, theme. You know, as someone that's been, you know, had a successful career on Wall Street and this sort of thing and is used to sort of having this steady income stream, uh, which uh, many of us are are very accustomed to, um, for you to actually branch out, uh, you know, and um, not to, uh, you know, we've talked about how uh, my view is that uh, most of the successful entrepreneurs, whatever, regardless of what you see in TV and and what's uh, romanticized by Hollywood and this sort of thing are are people that have uh, are are people that are more experienced and have uh, have years of experience within a, spe- uh, a niche or a specialty and they're able to actually figure out uh, what the problems and and the pain points are and find a solution to that. So uh, my question is basically for you, um, someone that you know was used to sort of. Uh, you know, getting a steady paycheck, it must have been quite difficult for you then to take the leap, um, whether it is, you know, family and, and obligations and this sort of thing. And and how were you able to navigate that? How were you able to convince, uh, you know, your 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 supporters, your, your closest, your family and friends? And how were you able to make that transition and actually be like, okay, you know what, I believe in this so much that I'm going to go out on a limb and just do it? Yeah. So, you know, the first thing I'll say is I have um, an un- unhealthy appetite for risk. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it is unhealthy, but but I do like risk. And, and so I think I think first and foremost, um, I was there was never, never a sort of point of fear of, of doing it. I, I knew I wanted to do it. Um, and then the, the second component is obviously, you know, you need to have the the capital and and some 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 runway to do it and and I have um, today I've got you know five kids um, wow. they go to international <laughs> schools it's it's not you know it's it's not cheap and so it was a it was a sort of big big leap to do it but um, I don't think I've ever uh, sort of said this this publicly but you know I was a relatively early um, Eddie trade um, I got stock mm. options uh, by pure dumb luck. 
Um, I sold those options at E-Trade's peak. And a couple of months later, I think the price was about $26. And a couple of months later, uh, Lehman wow. happens. Um, E-Trade was a part of that that implosion. And I think the stock went down wow. to one. So, <laughs> so I, I, I exited at a, at a perfect time um, and, and was able to sort of use that, the proceeds of, of, of those stock options to fund the company. Um, and, and so I, I kind of laid out my business plan, had a sort of, you know, good sense of, of, of the costs and, and what it was going to cost to get this thing going. And, and eight securities is a licensed company mm-hmm. and it's certainly not cheap to do because you have to have regulatory capital. You have to hire a certain amount of people. You have to have compliance officers. So it's not cheap to get right. up and running. But what I failed to do, I think, was really understand the opportunity cost of not having that that paycheck. So I had a good sense of how much it cost to, you know, to sort of start the business. Um, but I really underestimated um, not having that paycheck. Um, and again, and probably was too optimistic in terms of how quickly I would be able to raise money. It took a lot longer than I thought. So it certainly wasn't wasn't easy. And, and in hindsight, you know, you sort of question whether you do it. But but I did do it and, and it worked out. Well, I think it's pretty inspirational. I mean, look, I, I talk to uh, entrepreneurs all the time and, uh, you know, I have three kids myself. I am fully cognizant and intimately aware of, of the cost of living uh, in Hong Kong and or any major city here in Asia or the world for that matter. Um, and, you know, a lot of people hang hang up the hat when they have a family. And, um, and I think that's uh, what I love about your story, Mikael, is that basically, you know, hey, look, you're doing it. You you've, you you have a big family and, you know, you're not just, um, you know, surrendering to corporate America or corporate life, uh, if you will. And um, and you're still pursuing it and, and successfully pursuing your dream. So I think that's inspirational. And I, and I love that about your story. Um, and so thank you for for sharing that with uh, with my audience. So I want to dig in now into a little bit of uh, eight securities. Maybe you could give us um, a little uh, sort of uh, a deeper uh, primer of what it is. And then I know that, um, uh, you know, it's right now it's very uh, targeted on mobile, uh, which is obviously the um, the trend going forward. And it's targeted uh I guess predominantly towards sort of millennial and that age group, but um, I know that you also went through like a couple of uh, pivots, so perhaps uh, you could walk us through that. Yeah, so you know, I think the the it's natural for for many companies uh, and startups to to have a few bumps in the road, and, and we certainly had our fair share. Um, when we we launched our first product, um, we had a view that. Um, personalization was going to be the key to our success. And this was still sort of very much Web 2.0 um, and, and had a view that, you know, let's personalize this, this product, uh, give customers the control and ability to sort of create their own dashboard. And that was the way forward. And we completely got that, that product wrong. Um, I think, you know, technically it's perhaps the product I'm most proud of. Uh, but but the reality is, you know, it was just too complex um, and, and customers didn't use it. So we had to kind of rethink it, um, take a step back. And that's really when we went all in with a view that simplicity is the key. And if I had a do over, I always say I would have started with simple, uh, not personalization, um, because simple's simple's working. And I think simple is ultimately what people want. So, you know, ultimately, we, we just sort of you know, look at the market and, and people want three things. They want, they want simple, um, they want um, affordable, 
and they want mobile. And that's basically what we built. So tell us, uh, it, so you, you are an online trader platform and I, I, uh, not to compare you, but your closest, one of your co- closest competitors is, is Robinhood, which is, um, sort of the famous us, uh, type mobile trading platform. Um, is the, your revenue model and your, your business setup, uh, is it essentially the same as, as, as they are running? And maybe you could explain that a little bit for our audience. Yeah, so you know, I, I thir- certainly took inspiration from from what Robinhood did. There's no doubt about it. Uh, my partner and I um, have watched them and and you know, sort of seen their success. And 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 would be disingenuous of me to say that we kind of you know thought of going this route independently. So certainly give them credit in terms of of creating something really special in the U.S. and, and felt that it had complete and total application in Asia. So you know, in a nutshell. Um, it's zero commission trading, mm-hmm. um, so allowing customers to trade uh, stocks for for no commission. And in our view, is I, I think anything that is a transaction and anything that is a commodity is ultimately going to go to zero. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> right. So our view was, you know, we don't love the idea of transaction pricing. I think that subscription is really the way forward. And I think that's especially true for, for Generation Z, those people that are kind of, you know, entering their mid-20s. Mm-hmm. Um, subscription pricing is 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 the way forward. So we said, how can we kind of take that idea and apply it to investing? So a little bit different than than Robinhood, um, we are ultimately uh, and we're kind of going through this evolution now. Ultimately, it's it's free stock trading, free crypto trading, uh, personalized trading ideas that are surfaced through data and through the community. Um, and ultimately, um, you know, bringing that sort of full package to customers for, for a low monthly subscription fee. That's the idea. That's fantastic. So have all those verticals been built out, the, the crypto trading and the sort of social, uh, almost like a, an eToro type where you can follow like a, a famous trader that's making, doing very good trades. Are those, is that functionality fully built out at eight securities? Yeah, so where we are now is is obviously the the stock trading um, is is out and sort of live in the market. We've been doing that for um, almost twelve months, um, and and that business has been growing really rapidly. So sort of customers, accounts, turnover, um, you know, we've seen about fifty percent growth per quarter. So it's it's in sort of trending in, in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the um, and then and ultimately. Um, the model is you, you offer zero commission trading and zero commission trading is going to attract a lot of customers at a very low acquisition cost. Right. So your necessity to go out and spend a lot in marketing, you know, you don't have to do that. So you're going to get customers. You get customers, um, you know, to some degree, we, we have to sort of subsidize some of the expense because it's not absolutely free to trade stocks. We have the execution costs and so on, but we bear that cost. Uh, we bear that cost in in lieu of, of having to spend marketing. So we acquire the customers, the, the business grows, you grow customers, you grow assets, you grow turnover. And with that growth, you have multiple ways to, to consider monetizing it. Uh, and one of those is obviously the, the value in the data. Um, and, uh, and we're using data um, to essentially uh, give customers uh, trading ideas. So basically let customers have a view of what the community is doing in terms of you know, what stocks are they buying and selling, uh, what's the buy-sell momentum. If I'm interested in buying a share of Nike, um, interesting for me to see you know, who's been the most successful trader of Nike and so on. And all of that is done um, anonymously. So customers have full, uh, full anonymity uh, and a unique username, but I have the 
um, the benefit of knowing that all of that data is real, it's validated. So if someone says they, they bought Apple at 11 and sold at 200, um, you're going to know whether that's true or not, unlike a bulletin board or, or, or something else that's, you know, it's complete sort of hearsay. You could be talking to a genius, an eight-year-old or a liar. The problem is you don't know which one. Right. So, uh, so for the user uh, that was, is to, let's say, I were to go on, uh, and uh, full disclosure, I do not have an account with A-Securities, uh, but if I were to go on today, this afternoon, can you walk us through the user experience? How long does it take? You know, what kind of uh, you know, verification is needed? Um, you know, how long does it take to transfer money in and, and get st- started to trade right away? Yep. So we're, we are a mobile-only service. 100% of our business um, is on iOS and, and Android. We, uh, it's a pretty much now a 50-50 split, but you download uh, the app. Um, we take you through account opening uh, in the app. Um, takes about three minutes. It's, it's four screens. Um, unfortunately, Hong Kong um, still requires a wet signature. They still require the application to be witnessed. So it's, it's quite, quite archaic. And, and unlike the US, Japan, and Singapore, and other markets that are fully digital, Hong Kong's not quite there yet. So there is still this sort of um, online to offline process that has to happen uh, because we're a licensed business. But I think on the positive side, it also gives us a chance to meet customers, gets, gives customers a chance to come to the office and sort of see that it's real and, and get to know the team a bit. Um, but uh, the account basically is opened uh, the same day once the, the application is completed and signed. Um, you can then transfer money into your account from, from your bank. So uh, any bank, you can do it by ATM, check, whatever means. Um, once your money is, is posted sort of same day, you're, you're free to trade. And uh, we offer about 15,000 um, stocks and ETFs, uh, the Hong Kong and U.S. market. Um, and it's absolutely free. Um, and, you know, the idea when we, when we began sort of building out the product was let's just take all friction out of the experience as much as possible. So the, the experience is just super, super simple. Um, you know, we, we cut out all the bells and whistles. It's there's there's not a lot of distraction. It's, you know, I pull my quote, I see the price can do a bit of research and then execute a trade. Right. Uh, and then, so just as on the revenue side, um, you know, we talked about this uh, before. It's um, basically because your user acquisition cost is so low, uh, you're then able to take the uh, the users and then um, potentially offer them uh, leverage in this sort of margin type uh, financing, which is where I guess you make the bulk of your fees. Yeah, that's right. So there's there's a couple of revenue streams. Um, the first being uh, the subscription and the subscription. People that have opened an account and, and want to trade stocks for free, they'll always be able to do that for free. Um, that's 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 not going away. Um, it's really uh, on us to sort of add more features and make it worthwhile for customers to to pay a subscription because they want this this added value, like the crypto that's coming, um, the the social features, and so on. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think from from you know that perspective, it's it's uh, the subscription, it's uh, margin lending, uh, which typically most brokers in Hong Kong that represents 50, 60 percent of their their revenue um, anyway. So it's sort of very traditional uh, revenue model. 
Um, and then I think um, uh, on the other side of the equation, we also offer B2B services. And so uh, we have the B2C business, which we've discussed. And on the other side, we have B2B, where we work with, with big institutions to offer um, our products and services to their customers on a white label basis. So between the two sides of the business, uh, that's the bulk of our revenue. And, and to give you sort of some, some idea of, of, of what it takes, you know, for every 20,000 subscribers, we can generate about two and a half million in in recurring revenue, oh, wow. annual revenue. So it is, you know, and the nice thing about about that model is it's, it's predictable. Um, and, and and the problem with brokerage or any sort of transaction oriented business model is you always have your ups and downs. If it's a you know big market, everyone's active, that's great. But you know, at the same time, that can also disappear. So I think bringing this sort of idea of, of recurring revenue into our business model is an important. That's fantastic. Well, uh, uh, last sort of question on the sort of uh, technical and, and uh, business structure uh, that you guys operate there. As far as sort of custody goes, uh, has there been, how is that set up? And has there been any sort of issues or concerns uh, from potential uh, customers about, hey, you know, let me, you know, and I think this is, uh, is, is relevant for anyone that's trading markets. Hey, what happens if you guys go under? What happens to my money, right? Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, it, it's a great point. And when you when you launch a startup and, and, and certainly a, fin, a licensed fintech company that's dealing with real client money, you can build the best product in the world. You can build, you know, a great brand. You can you can build all of that out. But the one thing that takes time that there's no shortcuts to achieve is trust. Mm. And that's something that, you know, an HSBC or a standard chartered has just because they've, they've been around a long time. And and that's sort of inherent in their business. And so for us, that's one thing that, you know, that we realize is going to take time. But the reality of the situation is that it's no less safe to invest at H Securities than it is with HSBC. Um, that's because the, the regulator requires us to hold client cash in custody in a corporate bank mm. account. So your, your money is actually sitting in a corporate bank account with, with HSBC Standard Charter, you know, Bank of China. Um, and so your cash is, is segregated and completely safe and all of your investments that you're making. So the stocks that you hold are held in custody with either the Hong Kong Stock Exchange or, or the U.S. Stock Exchanges. So the reality is there is, you know, virtually no risk to your portfolio should anything happen to eight securities. Um, but that's something we have to talk about and educate customers. And it's something that our, our larger competitors don't don't have to because, again, you know, they've been around a long time. Right. And so that just comes down to, as you said, education and then trust building. Uh, and that just takes time. And uh, the longer you guys are around, the, the, the better the trust and the, the higher the, uh, the trust will, will build. So um, it's, it's sort of a long game, I suppose, especially uh, in, in the securities uh, industry. Um, I want to just quickly shift gears for a few minutes. Um, and, uh, and thank you for the great overview of, of eight securities. Um, I want to talk about uh, something that we, we, we spoke about for a while at, uh, at, the, at the event last time, which is, um, which is venture capital. And there's someone that is, you know, you're, you're, you're quite a seasoned entrepreneur and, and you're, you um you've been on both sides of the business you know you've been you've been sort of in in the industry and then you've sort of graduated to become an entrepreneur um you know i think that uh, raising capital obviously is is a difficult thing particularly in in asia um you know i know that you guys had some roots in hong kong 
I want to just, um, you know, get your thoughts on what's the state of venture capital VC funding right now. Um, how do you think that has evolved since uh, maybe when you started? And what do you think the, the future trends are? And maybe you can that will allow some of our sort of startup founders who are listening in um, to, to sort of add a reality check. Because I think that if you ask younger founders or maybe people that have connections or maybe got luck, you know, went through some accelerator and got some funding, um, they might have, uh, you know, very different views on on venture capital and funding and, and when you should take money and how much money you should take. Because uh, these are all considerations that a lot of people don't actually make because um, they're just so focused on on getting the money, right? That's right. I mean, I think the first thing I'd say is it, it is so hard. It is so hard to raise money and, and nothing drives me more nuts than when I hear you know, people say, oh, you know, the market's awash with venture capital and there's so much <laughs> capital. And, and, and I don't care whether it's a it's a seed round, whether you're raising $50,000 or a, a late stage round. It, it is just hard. Mm-hmm. And anyone that started a company and, and any entrepreneur uh, knows that. So first and foremost, you know, I, I want to sort of <laughs> say that I, I think it is extremely difficult. Um, the other thing that, that you know, is, is a bit misleading is we hear, you know, always hearing news about, you know, how much venture capital is being deployed in, in Asia. And, and while it's true and while it's growing, you know, the reality is the vast majority of that venture capital is going into very few companies. Right. Um, and, you know, these, these are companies that are, that are late stage. Maybe they're on a path to, to IPO, um, some of these Chinese giants that, mm-hmm. that will, will IPO. And so it is misleading. And I think in, in Asia, it really is more private equity than it is sort of risk capital or, or venture capital. So I think there is broadly a shortage of, of venture capital in the region. And there are hundreds of thousands of, of companies that need, that need venture capital at any given moment. But the reality is only two, three percent of them are going to get it. And, and, and sort of securing it is, is tough. I think in many respects, when we raise money initially, um, in, in some respect, it was it was easier because there was very little competition at that time. So there just were not a lot of we weren't competing with a lot of other fintech companies um, to raise money. Right. We were relatively early in in Hong Kong, so it was was unique. Um, and, and while I think there is more um, venture capital today than there was then. I think the competition for that venture capital is, is gone through the roof. Right. And so, and I think that the standards are much higher. So we were able to raise around, we raised an 8 million uh, round initially, um, you know, quite honestly with a prototype and a, and a pitch deck and, and, and a team with some experience. I think that would be very, very hard to do today just because the competition is so much greater. So I think if you, you know, if you, and I think the expectations from, from venture capital are much higher. So you, you know, you have to have traction, you have to have growth, you know, you have to have a proven business model. And the difficulty for many fintech companies in particular is that they're very capital intensive. If you right. want to have a licensed fintech company and you're dealing with real customers and real money, really tough to start a business without three to $5 million. Mm. And, and so how do you show traction? How do you prove out a business model um, you know, without, without the capital? So sort of a chicken and egg situation. Sure. The infrastructure cost to set up any sort of uh, financial business is just so high. I mean, yeah. even... When it just comes to the simple regulations that you have to get, you know, I mean, it's 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 uh, it's 
it's you know human capital it's ro's it's you know licensing and and all this so um you're absolutely right and uh you know i mean if there's if there's one sort of uh you know as as we move to sort of the the uh the conclusion of of the interview you know, and, and I, I like to ask uh especially our seasoned entrepreneurs you know i mean if if there's sort of one uh, piece of advice that you could give to um, perhaps a aspiring fintech entrepreneur that's looking to raise VC capital, you know, I mean, it's obviously not easy, uh, and it's uh, you've made that abundantly clear. Um, so, aside from from that reality check, uh, what what advice could you give them to maybe increase their success? Yeah, I think you know, I think that the one word I would say is is persistence. Um, you know, I, I I ran a calculation, and I think we've met uh, since launching the company about 120 investors, and the reality is that 95 percent of those wow. do not result in an investment. So you really have to have thick skin. Um, and and get used to hearing no. The most frustrating thing is most VCs won't say say no. Either they go silent, or they say maybe, <laughs> or they say you know call me back when you have have traction, uh, which is which is beyond frustrating for an entrepreneur. But but you have to get used to to sort of um, you know going into meetings and, and understanding that the vast majority of those are not going to result in an investment. But my my advice to any entrepreneur is never say no to a meeting. As you as you take more investor meetings, you begin within two three minutes. You know whether that investor is serious or not. But despite that, take every single meeting because what every investor will do if they like you and they like your product, they may not believe in in the business today or they may not be ready to invest today. But mm -hmm. um, you can always ask that investor to make you know two introductions. Please make two introductions, right. and they'll do that for you. I mean, ninety percent of them will do that for you, and take every single meeting. And what I found is, is is regardless of of the intent of the investor, I always learn something new in every meeting. It's it really is the truth. So I've, I've every meeting I've taken, I've learned one or two things about my business, something I haven't thought about, um, something I've thought about but but haven't spent enough time sort of fleshing it out. So. I, I just think persistence, but, but the difficulty there, you know, Jay, is that it, it is, it's time, right? Like as an entrepreneur, you just don't have time to do these meetings yeah. and run a business. And it goes to, to maybe a second point of advice is, is have a co-founder. I, I cannot even begin to imagine doing this, you know, without a co-founder, without a partner, because you can't be in two places at one time. So someone can kind of take the lead with fundraising. Someone can take the lead with kind of getting the business going and, and product. I, I think it's just, it's a complete necessity. Doing it on your own is is just you know, tough. Right. That's great advice, uh, Mikael. Thank you so much uh, for sharing your experience. I just have uh, last two questions. Uh, the first is, um, you know, I want to give you an opportunity to share with the audience if there's any sort of data points that you're actually uh, free to share or any uh, milestones um, that ha that you've just passed or maybe coming up this year that you're looking towards that we can direct our audience's attention to. And then uh, the final question after that would just be the where to find you, follow you and learn more about what you're doing uh, at 8 Securities. Yeah. So, um, you know, thank you. I, th I think the, you know, in terms of, of, of our goals, um, we, we just closed another round of, of funding. So it is, it is a never ending process. Um, to date, we've raised, um, 60 million. Um, we, we just closed a, a 25 million round with, wow. uh, with Nomura Asset Management. So that's our first strategic investor. Congrats. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. And, and looking to raise another, another 10. And I got to say, 
there's no sort of correlation with the amount of money you raise and the success of a business. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> proud at all of having to raise $60 million because if I could, if I could have a rewind and do over, you know, we, maybe we could have gotten from sort of point A to point B with, with a lot less. So uh, nothing to be, be proud of, but it, it sort of keeps it going. <laughs> it is necessary. Um, and, and I think, you know, um, in terms of, um, of where we want to go with the business, I, you know, the, the one thing that, that, you know, it sounds like a cliche, but it is something that, that just all focus is really just on customer satisfaction. So right. the number of, 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 of trades, the number of the, the amount of turnover, whether we do three, five, 10 billion in turnover next year, the key thing is, is there's a direct correlation with, with how happy your customers are and, and all of those other KPIs. So, it's just customer satisfaction, fixated on it. There's a lot of things we can do better, um, but everything kind of goes back to that. And that's 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 great to hear because you know a lot of times when when companies and startups mature, uh, it's sad to see when they kind of sort of lose uh, sight of what actually is their core competency. You know, and and for you guys, for sure, it's it's customer satisfaction and growing that. And so uh, I'm glad you said that. And finally, you know, where's the best place that people can find you, follow you, or maybe uh, open up an account with Eight Securities? Uh, so uh, account, you know, please go to, to aidsecurities.com or the app stores uh, and you can do it that way. Um, if you uh, want to get in touch with me, it's um, at Mikhail Abdullah on Twitter. And my email is uh, Mikhail.Abdullah at aidsecurities.com. That's very generous, actually, of you giving your email. And I hope we do, you don't get bombarded. Uh, thank you, Mikhail. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing your journey. Um, and congrats on the latest funding round. And we're definitely going to keep you on the radar. And, um, and we look forward to uh, hearing more about your success. So thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under 3 hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness.